A quick warning to my listeners, this week's episode will use some adult language. In fact, the very title of this week's episode is Adult Language. And it also touches upon some complicated topics about abuse. So once again, this may be an episode you don't want to listen to with a kid in the room. It's PG-13-ish. Last month, the New York Times published an article documenting unprofessional and manipulative behavior by recording artist Ryan Adams. I am a fan of Ryan Adams, and I was very distressed to hear some of these details, but I was not surprised. I want to say that I 100% believe the women that have come forward, and as I try to articulate a few points about behavior in a workplace, I want to make sure that people don't think that I'm condoning his behavior towards these women, but I will call out a few specific things that he did that I thought was bad behavior, but it was for the benefit of the audience. Ryan Adams had a series of documented social media incidents with former girlfriends and his former wife, Mandy Moore. There are dozens of stories about Ryan Adams not being nice to people, both men and women. One of his former relationships, Phoebe Bridgers, wrote a damning song about him, as did his friend, former drive-by trucker singer Jason Isbell. He wrote a great song called Chaos and Clothes about him on his last album, The Nashville Sound. You should totally buy that. Ryan had an incident with a notoriously nice guy, musician Neil Finn. If you can't get along with Neil Finn, you have problems. So this Ryan Adams incident, it influenced this week's topic, which is working with assholes. Yes, I'm using my podcast to help me process my fandom for Ryan Adams and the terrible things that he's done to people. I'm Joey Lombardi, and this is SourceCast episode 138. Since we are using the term asshole, let's just get comfortable with it. I'm going to be using the term the entire episode. Again, PG-13. Let us define what is an asshole for the context of this podcast. The Atlantic had an article in 2015 titled Why It Pays to Be a Jerk. It was written by Jerry Usem. And in the article, Jerry interviewed a surfer named Aaron James, who defined the terminology of asshole as, and I quote, the asshole allows himself or herself to enjoy special advantages and does so systematically. Point number two about assholes, the asshole does this out of an entrenched sense of entitlement. And number three, the asshole is immunized by his sense of entitlement against complaints of other people. This definition of an asshole was ran through management professor Donald Hambrick of Penn State, and he agreed that that terminology of an asshole was almost identical to the academic psychology's definition of narcissism. So now that we know what an asshole is, how do we survive them? How do we manage working and interacting with assholes on a daily basis? Psychology Today has an article titled Tips for Surviving Workplace Assholes written by Robert Sutton. Now, Robert Sutton comes up a lot in the field of dealing with assholes. So Sutton says first and foremost, escape if you can. The best thing you can do is get away from them. You could potentially be at risk for personal damage or turning into an asshole yourself if you keep exposing yourself to people who act like assholes. Sutton says that assholery is not something that you are born with. It is effectively contagious. It is a learned behavior. But escape is not always possible. You have to work, and sometimes you can't get away from people who act like this. Sutton has seven recommendations on how to manage interacting with assholes. Number one, Start with a polite confrontation. Some people don't mean to be assholes. 
And they might be surprised if you gently let them know that you are feeling belittled or demeaned. Some people get demeaning on purpose, but they may stop if you confront them in a firm manner. Number two, if a bully keeps spewing venom at you, limit your contact with the creep as much as possible. That's pretty self-explanatory. But there's a really good tip in here. Sutton says that research suggests that stand-up meetings are just as effective as sit-down meetings, but they tend to be shorter because people don't like to stand for long periods of time, apparently. So if you are meeting with someone who is consistently an asshole, try doing it in a standing setting so you can get through with the meeting much quicker. Suggestion number three, find ways to enjoy small wins over assholes. If you can't reform or expel the bully, find ways to gain control or fight back. It will make you feel powerful and just might convince the bully to leave you and others alone. Sutton gives this great example of a bully boss who was stealing candy from a coworker's desk. And the woman got so upset that she created candies out of X-Lax. And then she left it on her desk. And then the guy came over and stole the X-Lax candies. And as you can imagine, the asshole learned his lesson. Suggestion number four, practice indifference and emotional detachment. Basically, Sutton is saying, learn how not to let the asshole touch your soul. Sutton sets this particular suggestion up by saying, most workplaces want you to be committed to your workplace and to really feel invested. But that's hard when you have a coworker or manager that doesn't treat you well, and they effectively have not earned your passion or commitment. And Sutton is saying, embrace the detachment. Go through the motions without really caring. Don't let the asshole's vicious words or deeds touch your soul. Learn to be comfortably numb. That is a slippery slope. I don't know about that one, Robert Sutton. Suggestion number five. Keep an asshole diary. Yes, this. Document everything. If you have specific details, they can't be washed away. If you have dates, if you have times, if you have a record of consistent incidents and behavior, it will absolutely help make the case that if this person has to go, there's a pattern of crappy behavior. And right on the heels of number five, number six is to recruit fellow victims and witnesses. I'm going to directly quote Sutton here. It is an especially effective tactic to recruit colleagues who are fellow victims of an abusive boss to help support your case. It is far more difficult for management or judge to dismiss a complaint from a group of victims rather than a single victim. And this tactic has been confirmed by in-depth case studies by Pamela Lutkin Sandvik, an assistant professor at the University of New Mexico. Her analysis showed how victims of bullying fought back, what methods were most likely to succeed, and suggests that people who work in concert with others to battle back experience less distress and are more likely to keep their own jobs and are more likely to force bullies out. And finally, number seven, take legal action if you must, but do so as a last resort. Sutton says that there is a growing legal movement against bullying in the workplace, and employment lawyers keep telling Sutton that it will get easier to collect damages against equal opportunity assholes, not just against racist or sexist jerks. Documentation is essential if you are considering making a legal claim, but if you are suffering from workplace abuse, Sutton says the best thing for you to do may be to get out before you suffer more damage. Sutton seems to be very hesitant to promote the concept of going through a lawsuit, and I imagine that's because it's very difficult to prove your case, and it's just going to prolong this uncomfortable experience. Sutton says the more you suffer, the more money you can get, but the implication is, for Sutton, if you possibly can, why not get out before you suffer horrible damages in the first place? When I was doing research for this podcast, and I was typing in addressing workplace jerks or assholes or whatever, 
a lot of the articles that came back said that there are some benefits potentially to jerky or asshole behavior and that there's some ties to people advancing. But as I process this entire Ryan Adams situation, a lot of the pushback against him cited some older things that he did. For those of you who don't know Ryan Adams, he does have a reputation, has always had a reputation, for being kind of an asshole or acting bratty towards critics and certain audience members. So some of this stuff is starting to be brought up in the context of his situation with the women who came forward. And I feel that it's important to separate some of that because some of the things that he's being called out for now in this different context, I don't feel is appropriate because the things that he did in these situations, while yes, he was an asshole, I want to say that he was an asshole for good in these two very specific examples. Well, really one and a half. One of the classic Ryan Adams asshole stories goes back to the summer of 2002, Nashville, Tennessee, the Ryman Auditorium. Because Ryan Adams' name is very similar to Brian Adams, the singer of Summer of 69 and other 80s and 90s hits, audience members at the time took great joy in yelling out, play Summer of 69 or some other Brian Adams hit. Things came to a head in Nashville. In this particular show, a heckler did the standard play Summer of 69, and this is what Ryan Adams had to say about it. And I quote, I finally had enough and piped up. Who is that? Who's shouting? Tell me who it is. And I asked the person to raise his hand so I can see him. He did not. Finally, people pointed furiously to a seat not far from me in the front. I walked down a few wooden steps in the front of the stage to the aisle where all the fingers were pointed. As I approached the heckler's wooden pew, I was shocked. He was only a few years older than me, unshaven, bleary eyes, and seemed to be so drunk that his limbs hung from his sides like a broken doll. The anger left me. I instantly felt bad. No one was there for this man. No one stopped him. I said, hey man, if you were trying to ruin the show, you succeeded. But I need to try to finish this. This is my job. So I pulled out two twenty bills and said, here's your money. Please take a taxi and leave. Go home, take an aspirin. Please leave. I walked back to the stage. People applauded. The fourth wall was destroyed in the worst possible way. But this moment where I decided to do what the security and the people around him would not felt genuine. It is what I would have done if I were in the audience. This particular example is being cited as Ryan being an asshole. And again, there are plenty of examples of Ryan being a total asshole. But in this particular situation, whether it is his asshole entitlement behavior allowed him to stop this audience member from doing this, or if this was a genuine good guy moment, I have to say that if I was in this crowd at this time, and I have been to plenty of Ryan Adams shows where something like this happens, I am in agreement with Ryan in this situation. I wish that more recording artists would do this on stage. People go to shows, the tickets are a lot of money, and people feel entitled to shout things out and be a part of the act. They're not. Please shut up. The fact that there's a recording artist that's willing to stop these shenanigans is a good thing. So I hope that other artists don't see all these other things that are happening to Ryan Adams and hear this story and decide, I better not do that. That's a total asshole thing to do because it's not, and you should. There's a second incident that's being called out, and this one is a little more gray. Ryan Adams throughout his career frequently played the Chicago area. And in 2003, Ryan had made his third or fourth stop to Chicago, and there was a critic named Jim DeRogatis that did not like him. He consistently wrote bad reviews about Ryan, and it got to the point where Ryan famously left this guy a voicemail and called him out. This voicemail became so infamous that a few years ago, there was a revisitation of said voicemail in the Cornell Sun by writer Shay Collins. The title of this article is You Don't Belong Here Anymore, an ode to the greatest musician-slash-critic feud. 
Collins points out a few things that I hadn't really noticed before. This article was written before the women came forward. I think it was written in 2016. So again, there's a lot of things that are sort of being revisited from a contextual perspective. And we'll get to that after I play the clip. But Shay Collins goes on to say, and I quote, I definitely enjoy replaying the voicemail just to hear Adam's lackluster, meandering attack. But they're more than just empty insults. Towards the end of the voicemail, he jabs, you're obviously one of those guys that come to gigs that just bums people out. You stand there with your bleeping notepad. Oh, and by the way, the voicemail is strewn with profanities, and I actually thought it was funnier to beep them out, so not the harshest of language. Remember, PG-13. Returning to the quote, D. Rogatis took down Ryan Adams for numerous perceived offenses, goofy singing, making fun of Wilco, being a poser, so it is satisfying to hear Adams go on the offensive. D. Rogatis describes Ryan Adams, the conceited, annoying frontman, and so Adams turns the mirror on D. Rogatis, a nitpicking buzzkill with a notepad. But when you peel away all of the indignation and cockiness, Adams raises important criticisms of, well, criticism. To continue the quote, Adams complains that, despite trashing his past shows, you, D. Rogatis, write about me every chance you get, concluding, so get somebody else that gets it. D. Rogatis's review bespeaks a lingering distaste for Adams and his whole tired, troubled artist routine. Adams asks a crucial question. Should critics continue to slam artists against whom they are already clearly biased? As a writer, I want to defend D. Rogatis's right to cover whomever he desires, and D. Rogatis, to his credit, is a clever and observant reviewer. Yet Adams fairly points out that D. Rogatis is either jaded or missing something if he feels the need to rail against a performer's act after three reviews. What I'm trying to show here is some counterbalance. Even if someone is a total certified asshole. It may be easy to dismiss some of the things that they're saying because you've written them off as a total asshole, but there could be viable points. You have to be careful not to completely shut off against Robert Sutton's advice against everything that they're saying. Let's listen to the clip. Hey, Jim. This is Ryan Adams. Just calling to say hi. Well, somebody sent me your stupid review of my show, and like, what is your problem? You have to come after me. Like, you, you have to make some kind of weird point to, like, with my, whether I'm, like, legitimate or whatever. And, like, you mentioned in the end that, like, the fans eat it up, but you're different. You're, like, the voice of reason. I'm BS because I make music that's, like, the replacement or, like, Courtney Love or, like, some It can't just be fun. You know, you do this to me, like, every time I come to town. And, like, your ending note to self no, to Ryan Adams, wish you were anywhere but here. It's like, you know, like, so sick of it. I'm not giving you, like, a Courtney Love call. Nobody's interested in your, in your, you obviously have, like, a problem with me. Not with the music, because you can't refute it, obviously, because it's too good, and you know it is. Or you wouldn't write about me. You would just, like, let it go. But you write about me every chance you can get. Which is man. It's like, so get somebody else that gets it. If you have some kind of, like, super jaded, horrible, like, problem with me because I'm I'm overzealous or I have, like, lust for life or I like to make a show, like, different and interesting and, like, not boring and stare at my shoes and whatever. Obviously, you're misguided because you think that I'll never write anything as heartfelt or whatever as Jeff Tweedy, like, you know, who could burn holes through his shoes by staring at them. I think that you're incredibly petty and obviously, like, one of these guys that comes to gigs that just bums people out. You just stand around like you with your notepad. You're one of these people that, that like you don't belong anymore. And you're probably old and you probably just need to retire. 
you directly talk to me in your in interviews, in your reviews, or whatever, and I will call you, and you can be in as much as you like, which is fine, but, like, everybody sees through it, so and you know what, I'm going to keep coming back, and you can't stop it, and old man, it's time for you to probably get out of business. So that was fun. It's interesting listening to this clip now in light of the information that's coming out about Ryan. There are a lot of people coming out and saying that he used his position to suppress bad reviews. And I can totally see a less seasoned journalist or a viewer backing down after a call like that. I'm viewing this voicemail a little differently now. But I also think that Ryan made some points and perhaps a bigger person or a more emotionally well-rounded person would not have taken the time to get this critic's number and to basically do a takedown, which I do think that some critics deserve. They deserve to be taken down a little bit sometimes. They buy into their own bullshit. So as we talk about how to deal with assholes and interacting with assholes and whether or not assholes can be right in some cases, what's the verdict? There was a recent article in the New York Times about bully bosses, When the Bully is the Boss by Benedict Carey. Carey basically finds research that finds no evidence to support the axiom that tougher bosses get better results. And I quote, We've been looking for it, said Rebecca Greenbaum, a professor at Rutgers University School of Management and Labor Relations, who formerly worked in the insurance industry. We'd love to find out if there are good aspects of abusive leadership. There's been a lot of research, and we just can't find an upside. The article goes on to say that the vast majority of findings point to the same conclusion. Bullying bosses tend to undermine their own teams, morale and company loyalty plunge, tardiness increases, and sick days are more frequent. Productivity may rise on the short term, Greenbaum says, but over time, the performance of the staff or team deteriorates and people quit. The Carey article concludes by saying abusive supervisors come in many flavors, including the insecure, the overmatched, and the garden variety sadist who picks on underlings solely for the pleasure of exercising power. But even mini tantrums and putdowns can be counterproductive, undermining the efforts of a normally civil person and an otherwise effective boss. What our findings suggest is that this kind of behavior is typically not premeditated, Dr. Greenbaum says. It comes out when people fail to control themselves, and is even worse when supervisors have a bottom-line mentality, that they'll do anything to achieve their goals. That's an interesting segue back to Ryan Adams, because I feel like there are some lines in there that are pertinent to him. Ryan comes from a tough background that's been well-documented. He had a very poor relationship with his mother. He didn't finish high school. He left his hometown when he was 16 to join a band. He got on the road, he had drug problems throughout most of his life, and he has consistently admitted that he has emotional and psychological issues. So when you have someone who does not know how to handle situations, divorces, relationships, interactions with people, complex emotions, they're going to lash out and act like assholes. And that's not a defense. It's an attempt to understand why someone acts a certain way. I want to believe that Ryan's a good guy that got out of whack with the self-doubt, the drugs, and the depression. And is this a whole chicken and egg situation? Ultimately, for Ryan and for other assholes out there, you have to be self-reflective. You have to understand what's driving this behavior, why you feel this way, and get help. And part of getting that help is understanding the damage that's being caused to the people you are inflicting your emotional bullshit on. I hope there is a scenario where Ryan Adams can make things right with the people that he's hurt. I hope there's a path for that. Because I think that that path is indicative for other people as well. We're getting very good at calling out the bad behavior, but what do you do with that person? What do you do with the situation once it's called out? Do we throw everyone in the garbage, never to be seen again? Or is there a possibility for rehabilitation and redemption? 
I guess we'll find out. And that's all we have for this week. You can find Sourcecast on iTunes, Google Music, and all of your favorite podcasting applications. Sourcecast is recorded in Bucolic, Mandurah, New Jersey, and it's produced by my dad. The outro is performed by me, Ben Lombardi, and music is provided by Patrick Lee. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.